0: All participants, thank you for standing by. Your conference is about to begin. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to National Bank of Canada's third quarter results conference call. And I'd like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Linda Boulanger, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead,
1: Ms. Boulanger. Thank you, operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our third quarter presentation. Presenting this afternoon are Louis Vachon, President and CEO, Bill Bonnell, Chief Risk Officer, and Justin Parent, Chief Financial Officer. Also joining us for the Q&A session are Laurent Ferreira, Chief Operating Officer, Stéphane Lucie Blanchet, Co-Head of PC Banking, Martin Gagnon, Head of Wealth Management, Denis Giroir, Head of Financial Markets, and Jean Dagenet, Senior VP, Finance. Before we begin, I refer you to slide two of our presentation, providing National Bank's caution regarding forward-looking statements. With that, let me now turn the call over to Louis Vachon.
2: Thank you, Linda, and good afternoon, everyone. Before we dive into our quarterly presentation, I'd like to say a few words about my upcoming retirement from the bank, as this is my last quarterly conference call. It's been an incredible ride, and after 29 years with the bank and nearly 15 as CEO, the time has come for me to move on. I want to express my sincere thanks and appreciation to all my colleagues. Our 26,000 employees have all contributed to building a strong and agile bank. I also wish to thank our stakeholders for their support throughout my tenure, namely our customers, community partners, shareholders, and the broader financial community. I am moving on with a lot of optimism for the bank, knowing that it is in very good hands. I have great confidence in the bank's future under the leadership of Laurent Ferreira, supported by a stellar executive team in a strong culture of adaptability and collaboration. With that, let's take a look at our results. So the bank's solid momentum through the first half of 2021 is carrying over in the second half. For the third quarter, the bank's pre-tax pre-provision earnings were up 15% year over year, and EPS came in at $2.36. We generated stronger organic growth and an industry-leading ROE while maintaining high capital levels and prudent reserves. I am proud of our performance, which speaks to the strength of our franchise. Our constructive view on the economy, on the economic recovery remains intact. The positive macro trends from the first half of the year continue to prevail, and long-term fundamentals in Canada are strong. We have one of the highest vaccination rates in the world right now. And as vaccination increase, restrictions ease. The same goes for our home province. Quebec is well positioned given the diversification of its economy, the government's fiscal flexibility, and the resilience of its households. The overall situation remains nonetheless complex. The impact of variance, among other factors, continues to make its path difficult to predict. In this context, we remain optimistic, but also prudent. Our credit quality is strong and our portfolios have performed well since the beginning of the pandemic. Given the continued improvement in economic and market indicators, we have released $43 million in reserves this quarter. In terms of capital deployment, we are staying the course. Our priority is to maintain strong capital ratios, allowing us to support clients and generate asset growth. Once regulation restrictions are lifted, we will look to accelerate capital returns to shareholders. Our priority is increasing our dividend as our payout ratio has fallen below our target range of 40 to 50 percent. Turning now to our business segments. In PNC, pre tax pre provision earnings were up 18 percent from last year, driven by strong volume growth on both sides of the balance sheet, partly offset by lower margins. Our mortgage business remains strong with volume up 11% year-over-year. On the commercial side, loan growth was strong at 14%. We continue to be active in targeted segments in commercial real estate. We're also seeing a broad-based pickup across other commercial lending segments. Solid momentum in client activity across the franchise also led to growth in other income of 12% year-over-year. Wealth Management delivered an excellent quarter with pre-tax pre provision earnings up 29% from last year. Year over year, assets under administration were up 26% and assets under management were up 30% with the strongest growth in mutual fund assets among Canadian banks. Our performance in Wealth Management was driven by favorable market conditions and strong organic growth across our distribution channels. We're also seeing tangible results from the collaborative model deployed a few quarters ago between our retail and, well, networks. Earlier this week, National Bank Direct Brokerage announced the launch of the most competitive online brokerage fee structure in the Canadian market. NBDB will be the only direct brokerage firm affiliated with a Canadian bank with zero commission on online trades on Canadian and U.S. stocks and ETFs. The self-directed investing sector is constantly evolving, and this is a great example of our ability to adapt and innovate for the benefit of clients and investors across the country. Our financial markets franchise reported solid results this quarter. Corporate and investment banking performed well with revenues up 20% year-over-year in the context of favorable markets. This is a good testimony of the breadth and strength of our pan-Canadian commercial uh, sorry corporate and investment banking franchise today looking at global markets we continue to benefit from favorable market conditions in niche sectors like structured products while trading activity is continuing to normalize year over year year to date sorry financial markets have delivered a seven percent revenue growth compared to last year given the exceptional results achieved in 2020 this year's performance truly demonstrates the benefit of our uh, benefits of our diversified model and the resilience of our franchise. ABA Bank had a strong quarter with revenues up 25% year-over-year. Year. Loans and deposits were up 29 and 34% respectively. ABA was once again named the best retail bank in Cambodia by Asian Banking & Finance. While Cambodia has been in the first wave of, ca- of COVID since April, Community transmission is slowing down and close to 80% of adults have been vaccinated. As a result, some sectors of the economy are still suffering, namely tourism, while others are benefiting from strong export growth. The outlook for ABA remains very favorable in the context of an evolving sanitary situation. Credit G delivered another strong quarter driven by portfolio performance, balance sheet growth, and an improving economic environment. Excluding the impact of FX, average assets were up and investment volumes were strong. The business has a robust pipeline and sees a healthy mix of opportunities ahead to provide liquidity through financing and to acquire newly originated consumer loans. In July, we entered into an agreement to increase our equity position in Flinks Technology from 26 to 80%. Flinks is a leading fintech specialized in financial data aggregation and distribution. We initially invested in Flinks upon its uh, founding in 2018 through our fintech venture capital arm, NA Ventures. Since then, we've gotten to know the business and its founders, and we really like what they bring to the table. This investment allows us to tap into the North American fintech ecosystem. It strategically positions us in a growth market to continue to enhance customer experience and benefit from future technology-driven developments. In closing, our strong performance in the quarter and fiscal year-to-date once again speaks to the strategic choices we have made over the years, our earnings diversification, and the strength and adaptability of our franchise. As the economy rebounds, the bank is well-positioned to continue to grow and deliver solid returns. We have an incredible team of over 26,000 employees. We're all contributing to building a diversified, resilient, and agile bank that puts people first. I have great confidence in the bank's future and long-term success. With that, I will now turn the call over to Monsieur Bonnet. Merci,
3: Louis, and good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin on slide 7. Total provisions for credit losses were negative $43 million in the quarter. The net release was driven by three factors. First, impaired provisions declined to just $34 million, or eight basis points, which is almost 50% lower than last quarter. Impaired provisions in financial markets were partially offset by repayments in commercial banking. Retail portfolios continued to benefit from low insolvency rates and high levels of liquidity. And impaired provisions remained at low levels in our international portfolios. The second factor was a $36 million benefit from write-ups of several POKEY portfolios held by Credigy. The actual collections performance in those portfolios was significantly better than what had been forecast, and this was reflected as a net benefit through BCL during the quarter. The third factor was a release of $41 million, or 9 basis points, from our allowance of on performing loans. This compares to a $62 million or 15 basis point uh, performing release in the second quarter. The drivers this quarter were positive credit migration, improvements in economic and market indicators, partially offset by loan growth. Given the very strong credit performance again this quarter, we've revised our target for full-year impaired provisions to below 15 basis points. On slide 8, we highlight the movements in our allowances for credit losses, total allowances declined by 5% in the quarter. At more than $1.2 billion, they remain more than 60% higher than our pre-pandemic level. We believe it remains prudent to keep these strong reserve levels, given continued uncertainties in the future path of the recovery. Our performing allowance declined by 4% this quarter to $938 million. Even after this small release, Our performing allowance remains just 11% below its peak and provides prudent coverage of our credit portfolios. Slide nine provides several coverage metrics that demonstrate the adequacy of our allowances with our performing ACLs now representing 3.8 times coverage of impaired provisions and our total allowances provide 6.6 times coverage of net charge-offs and represent 77 basis points of total loans. Turning to slide 10, Strong credit performance is also evidenced in the decline of our gross-impaired loans to $699 million, or 39 basis points. I'll point out that this is the lowest GIL ratio we've had in several years. Formations remain low across the portfolio, with one new formation in financial markets, net repayments in commercial banking, and continued low formations in retail banking and international. On slide 11, details of our retail, mortgage, and HELOC portfolio are presented. Credit performance in the portfolio continue to be strong, and the geographic and product mix remain stable. Quebec represents 54%, and insured mortgages represent 34% of the portfolio. Additional details of our credit portfolios and market risk are presented in the appendices. In conclusion, we are pleased with the performance of our loan portfolios. Positive credit trends continue during the third quarter, generating new cyclical lows and impaired provisions. We are cautiously optimistic about the continuing economic recovery. However, we recognize that significant uncertainties remain on the path forward. In this context, we remain very comfortable with the positioning of our portfolios across geography, sectors, and products, and with our prudent approach to provisioning. I'll now turn the call over to Gislain.
4: Thank you, Bill, and good afternoon, everyone. Turning to page 13, in the third quarter, revenue was up 14% on a year-over-year basis, reflecting a strong performance across the bank. We posted an efficiency ratio of 52.8% in the third quarter, maintaining a balanced approach between growth, investment, and cost management. As mentioned on our last call, expense growth this quarter was impacted by the combined effect of higher variable compensation related to our strong performance this year and the lower variable comp expense recorded in Q3 last year. Expenses other than variable compensation were up 3% year over year, reflecting prudent cost management. We are very pleased with our performance year to date. We achieved superior revenue growth, fueled by the momentum across our businesses. PTPP was up 14% for the nine-month period, and we delivered positive operating leverage of approximately 2% over the same period. Before turning to capital, let me say a few words on the bank's sensitivity to interest rates. As mentioned during our last call, we have broadened the scope of our Net Interest Income Sensitivity Disclosure, which now reflects the sensitivity from client deposits across PNC and wealth management. The disclosure is presented on page 31 of our uh, report to shareholders and shows that the bank is well positioned with regards to interest rate variations. It also highlights the bank's prudent approach to managing interest rates. It is important to note that the bank's sensitiv- sensitivity to interest rates is dynamic and will vary from time to time as the team manages interest interest rate volatility. As an example, earlier in the year, we took actions to mitigate some of the volatility in interest rates, allowing us to stabilize net interest income. Now turning to capital on page 14. The bank handed the third quarter in a strong position with a high CD1 of 12.2%, above average risk-weighted asset growth, industry-leading ROE, and significant credit reserves. Net income generation added 56 basis points to our ratio, reflecting a strong underlying business performance, and our strong credit performance helped as well. Our momentum in risk-weighted asset growth continues. The expansion of our book size represents 45 basis points of CD1 this quarter, excluding the impact of foreign exchange. In particular, Good pickup across commercial lending and client-driven activity in derivatives contributed to above-average risk-weighted asset growth. Favorable credit migration in retail and non-retail portfolios freed up nine business points of CT1 this quarter, while the unwinding of the regulatory market risk relief subtracted 12 business points. For the fourth quarter, we estimate that the acquisition of Flink's technology will reduce the CT1 by approximately 10 basis points. Now turning to page 15. Our liquidity ratios are strong with a LCR ratio of 154% and a net stable funding ratio of 123%. Our total capital ratio stands at 15.8%. This quarter, the bank delivered an excellent performance on all fronts. All businesses perform well we maintain strong capital levels while generating strong organic growth our return on equity exceeded 21% and our credit position is excellent the bank enters the new economic cycle from a position of strength before we end the call i have to take a moment to thank louis for his inspiring leadership of the bank over the last nearly 15 years louis you leave a strong legacy behind, one we are all very proud to carry on. On behalf of the entire team, it has been a real honour and a privilege to work alongside you all these years. On that, I'll turn the call over to the operator for a Q&A session.
0: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your hands up before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star two. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. Our first question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go
5: ahead
6: Oh, good afternoon. Um, congrats, Louis. Um, just have a question on your um, decision to go to zero commissions. Um, what, what what kind of prompted uh, the decision? Was it a kind of a long, uh, I guess, case file, or did the pandemic and, and retail acceleration maybe uh, facilitate that? And and the second part of the question is just on financials. When um, when we look at the modeling or other income. Um, is it in security brokerage commissions, and does it flow through anywhere else? I'm just trying to see what the uh, the revenue impact would be and, and where to find it. Thank you,
2: Monsieur, Monsieur Gagnon. Thanks for the comment, uh, Scott. Uh, Monsieur Gagnon has been keen to answer that uh, that
7: question. So, <laughs> go
2: ahead.
8: All right. Thank you. So let let me take you through through the rational. First of all, uh, you know, in in wealth management, we've embraced a differentiated and innovative strategy for a while now and examples of this include uh, being the only bank without its asset management unit, uh, embracing open architecture and even National Bank Independent Network being the only Canadian bank supporting independent brokers and portfolio managers in Canada. So this initiative is just a continuation of this same differentiated approach. I need to remind you that five years ago, in 2016, we started. We were the first to offer free trading of ETFs, and that's when Robinhood was just starting. Since then, we've worked with our colleagues internally, we fine tune our processes, we improved our pricing, essentially getting ready for free transactions. So this is not a brain cramp that, that happened this summer. We've been getting ready for this for many years, And we were recently at $0.95, which is pretty close to zero. With this announcement, we're we're putting a relatively small amount of revenues at risk. As you said, uh, some people identified the Line Securities Brokerage Commission, which is $60 million this, this quarter. This has many things in it, but I'll only say that we're putting a very small fraction of this with our new pricing at risk. And the reason is twofold. First of all, yes, we do have a relatively small market share in this business in Canada, especially compared to our full-service brokerage unit, which is much bigger. But, But most importantly, we've been constantly reducing the percentage of the revenues of direct brokerage coming from transactions over the years in preparations for this, and it has become fairly small. So the objective is very simple. It's to increase our client base, we know exactly how many clients we need to add to make up the loss in revenues, and we currently estimate that we will achieve this as revenue accretion in fiscal 2022. And remember, gaining just a few percentage points in market share could be very significant for us in relative terms. And if you look in the U.S., there's been significant adoption of free transactions. So it's very good news for investors. Louis said people first. We also want to say investor first. There's no hidden agenda here We're really happy to provide uh, uh, the standard bank offering uh, that had fintech pricing plus all the added benefits of real quotes, real-time quotes, all the registered accounts and everything. And also, remember, we ranked number one in J.D. Powers for investor satisfaction this year. So, you know, we do have the service offering that comes with it, and that's why the timing is good. So, you know, this is the result of five years of planning, investing investment in our platform. We're very proud of this achievement and we will continue down this path of disrupting the industry if it improves customer experience. All
6: right. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
9: Hi, good morning. Sorry, good afternoon. In um, the commercial loan growth, 14%, hoping you can dive a little bit more into what some of the drivers are, and I, I can see some of the sectors where you've shown some more expansion. Just wondering, you know, what's, what's been driving the growth? And at the same time, it seems like a lot of your competitors are obviously focused on, you know, driving commercial loan growth in Canada in particular. I, I'm just curious as to the competitive environment out there, and, and how, like, how are you generating this level of growth? Uh, hi, over to you. Yes. Hi, Doug. Um,
10: so, essentially, a couple of things. For one, the Quebec economy was doing uh, very well before the pandemic, and it's rebounding uh, probably uh, better than the other provinces, and that's our forte. Um, the second element you've seen our are, are, uh, numbers in, uh, in real estate, our growth in real estate, and we've said in the previous quarters there is uh, plenty of opportunities and demand for affordable housing. Uh, we're focusing on mid-rise, low-rise insured real estate and that represents about 80% of our growth in, uh, in uh, mortgage real estate. And the other element, you've seen it as well, in, in, uh, in the latter part of uh, of Q3, we've seen a strong rebound in other sectors of the uh, non-real estate sectors and very diversified finance, manufacturing, wholesale trade and others are picking up quite, quite strongly. Mostly due to uh, uh, M&A activity, business transfers. Um, drawings on our of credits are still remaining at the at the same level. So so there's money in the bank there when the economy f- picks up even further.
9: And so is a is a disproportionate of the growth out of Quebec. Is that and and when you talk about unused lines of credit, like where would your line where would your utilization be right now relative to what it was pre um, pre COVID.
10: So I'd say utilization is approximately uh, I'd say 20% below what it was uh, before COVID, um, and uh, it's pretty typical across uh, across the market from what we we can see. And uh, so, th- and because of obviously the high level of liquidities in Canadian businesses as we speak.
9: Okay. And then, just sorry, the other, just to clarify, like most of the growth you're seeing is out of Quebec. Can you maybe quantify how much was Quebec, or how much is outside of Quebec? So
10: basically, the the growth outside of Quebec is uh, is higher than uh, within Quebec, and uh, but it's not only real estate; it's also our specialty business, being ag, being uh, being tech, and others.
9: Okay. And then, just second on ABA. I mean, I think, Louie, you talked a-, a while back about maybe seeing a bit, a bit of a slowdown. I mean, we've seen anything but, I mean, earnings are up, you know, pre-tax, pre provision earnings are up 41% year over year, 13% quarter over quarter. So, and, you know, there is some ebbs and flows related to COVID. I mean, is this level of growth sustainable? Is this level of profitability sustainable? Um, can you maybe give a little bit a color of what you're seeing in terms of an outlook uh, with that investment?
2: I think the uh, you know the the, the outlook for uh, short, mid, and long term remains extremely favorable for ABA, uh, given the strength of the of the platform, uh, the combination of uh, strong physical network and very good digital offering, and lastly uh, on uh, you know given the you know the long term potential of growth uh, in, in Southeast Asia and in Cambodia particularly, so I think we're well positioned there for double digit growth uh, over uh you know multiple time horizons. From quarter to quarter, you know, there's uh the COVID situation is a bit of an unknown. Um the impact so far has been uh less than what we had uh prudently uh, anticipated. Uh but uh, it's quite clear that the franchise has gained strength uh throughout the pandemic because of its very strong digital offering and the fact also that they managed to stay open even when uh portions of uh, Phnom Penh were were closed uh they did manage to keep uh their uh their physical stores open so uh, no i think the uh the future uh, on all time horizon looks uh, very positive for that
9: asset and if i may just one last one bill i mean you provided guidance for impaired pcls for fiscal uh, 21. Do you care to provide any level of guidance or how you see things unfolding for fiscal 22? Thanks for the question, Doug. I think
3: we have a tradition of talking about uh, about that in the fourth quarter, and I think we'll we'll maintain that tradition. But I'll I'll share some some comments on it. What we're we're seeing, you know, there there um there is still uncertainty about the impacts of what's coming in the near term. The government progr- programs winding down. Uh, and we expect that the impacts of those will be mainly felt in those portfolios that were most hit by the pandemics um I think the the uh what we see in um in the in in the terms of the trends in the portfolios is a continuation of the positive trends since the beginning of the year so the metrics uh, that we look at are still flashing green and uh and it certainly uh, uh every quarter I think our view is that A a normalization is pushed a little bit further into the quarter, Um, but I I wouldn't want to give you any specific guidance for 2022 yet. We'll talk about that in December.
9: Okay, perfect. And uh, all the best in uh, retirement, Louis. Thanks. Thank you, Doug.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Manny Growman from Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
11: Hi, good afternoon, and congratulations on your retirement, Louis uh it's I still have to go reason. to your
2: uh, menu I still have to go to your event
11: yeah we can do it then but I thought I'd get it in here um, just a, a two follow-ups one just on the direct brokerage uh, uh, Commission in your business case are you assuming a competitive response w- where your peers match you Um so that's the first one
8: so um, uh, we're. We obviously want to capture market share, and uh, we uh, we made the bet that they would be hesitant, and so far so good.
11: Got it. And and then just in terms of the uh, PNC business, the net interest margin down five uh, basis points quarter over quarter. I'm curious what the impact specifically of loan mix is, given how strong the commercial growth was uh, uh, in the quarter. Yes, it's
12: Lucy. So I'd say a quarter-over-quarter is it's the reduction of the deposit spreads also mixed with the asset mix. That was partly upset by favorable deposit growth. So it's all of these drivers coming into play, really.
11: Okay, thanks for that. And, and then maybe just uh, one more, just on Flink's, um Is this a signal that there's a new approach that National Bank has uh, to uh, how it uh, looks at, at Syntax uh, how significant is this decision in, in, from a strategic point of view for the bank?
13: So uh, It's uh, Laurent, and I'll take the question. Um, we were already investor. Um, we had uh, nearly 30% of, uh, of Flinks. Um, so what we're seeing here is, obviously, we see a growth opportunity in, uh, in the segment, fintech, uh Flinks, they provide uh, services to uh, you know the P and c uh, segment as well as wealth. Um, so the intention here was to provide uh, more flexibility for Flinks in terms of you know a, a capital injection. Um, <clears throat> but no, I mean, we've been uh, you know investing in in several uh, uh, players in the market. And from time to time, you know, we take small investments and grow them bigger when where we see opportunities. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we, we look at trends like uh, consumers gravitating towards uh, digital, uh, yeah, <coughs> uh, looking for improvement on uh, consumer experience. Um, you know, the underlying trend of the uh, financial mar- uh, financial uh, services industry that's more and more fragmented, you know, that's not disappearing. So you know all of those reasons uh, why we're uh, increasing our investment in Flinx.
11: On a percentage basis, would this be the largest stake you have uh, in in a fintech, or are there other examples in, in the portfolio?
2: So I'll just to uh, it's it's uh, Louis uh, many uh, I think just to, to put it in historical perspective because uh, I'm I'm now the ancestor on the table. Um, the, the, the 80-20 approach, we used that back in the old days with Leveque Beaubien uh, before it became National Bank Financial. It did serve us extremely well. We used the same thing with Credit G, which I think would be defined as a fintech today. Uh, that's my view. It's a fintech that provides financing to other fintechs. Uh, and we used something quite similar with ABA Bank. So we do have a history of... Uh, making these uh, 80, 20 type investments and uh, and uh, over a period of time working with partners to, to grow that. And I think it served us extremely well. So that's for, you know, the history of it. Now for the future, Laurent, anything else to add?
13: Um, I mean, we, the, you know, to answer your question, it is, uh, you know, from our venture portfolio, the largest investment that we have uh, at this point in time. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you could see from time to time uh, strategic plays like that, but uh, that's the only one we have right now in the books.
0: Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Paul Holden from CIBC. Please go ahead.
4: Thank you. Good
14: afternoon. Just want to follow up on the NIM discussion, I guess. The direct question I'd have is, what should we expect for NIM, um going forward? Like, is there going to be continue um, gradual decline in NIM based on the same factors that impacted uh, the Q3 results, or should we expect something uh, different?
12: Yes, it's it's Lucy. So, sequentially, we expect some pressure on the margin, mainly due to the same factors. So, we expect our deposit levels to decrease gradually, no drastic runoff, but a gradual decrease at the same time, the increase of loans, uh, we'll also pick up, uh, like Stefan explained, also on the commercial side. So that's what we see coming for the next
14: quarter. Okay. And I, I'm assuming as loan mix gradually improves with commercial picking up, potentially residential mortgage slowing, or at least that's my expectation. Then eventually that name will stabilize and 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 reverse. Is that you know if I look further out the next quarter, is that reasonable in your mind? That is that is our scenario, uh, Paul, yeah. Okay, Okay. good. And then I want to ask you a question around um, capital. So some of your peers have benefited from um, lower RWA density specifically on, on credit. Some of it is migration. Some of it is model uh, refinement. Just wondering if you see a similar benefit. Like when I look at your PD and lgd assumptions and then the table with the actual experience it appears to me that your assumptions remain relatively conservative so just wondering if there's an opportunity again either for further migration or for model refinements
2: uh bill we'll take a first crack at it and it we'll see if,
3: uh... yeah thanks uh thanks for the question baldy you know we're, we're happy that our uh, actual performance has been better than our conservative uh uh, assumptions in those models, and and we'll certainly continue to look for opportunities uh, ahead as we refresh our, our models. Nothing specific in mind. Jean, just anything else to add? Thanks, Paul. Does that answer your question?
14: It, I mean, so you have been putting up. Let's let's reframe it then. So it sounds like not necessarily any model refinements but um but see potential for continued credit migration and i get that ifrs accounting and capital accounting aren't exactly one for one for so but maybe you can give us a sense of you know or or some way of framing how much additional capital you might be carrying for uh for higher loss rates than you typically would or maybe maybe you're not today
3: well, I think to, to frame it, I'd say that certainly we feel um, that our provisions and our approach on allowances has been, uh, has been, has been good, and certainly if the, if the uh, good progress and the recovery continues, we would expect that to add to capital. Um, on, the, uh, on the modeling, certainly the normal process is we refresh our models, and as the models go through where there's demonstrably lower actual uh, defaults or, pro- or or loss given defaults have been higher that will uh, impact the models both in IFRS 9 and capital um, so that uh, that is uh, that's ahead of us um, but nothing uh, said so nothing specific to signal to you okay
14: okay and then last question on capital <laughs> if I may and that's related to the increase in RWA related to counterparty risk it's a fairly significant year-to-date Understand that's capital markets driven. So maybe just walk us through what exactly what line of business is driving that, and then maybe tie that to uh, future expectations as well, if you can.
3: Yeah, maybe I'll start on that one, too, Paul. And then Denis might have something to add. But primarily, it's client uh, client business, client activity. It's providing risk management uh, products, uh, derivatives to help uh, help our corporate clients uh, manage the different types of risks. Anything else to add?
15: Well,
16: exactly that. It's uh, more volume with more clients. That's it. Yeah. That's a, a lot of that outside of Quebec, by the way. Yeah.
14: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it. And uh, that's all the questions I had. And uh, Louis, uh, congratulations, and uh, enjoy the retirement.
2: Thank you, Paul.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Sarab Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Uh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask a, a overall bank question here. Um, if I look at the last 10 or so years, um, top line growth, uh, I think you're on track to have the best top line growth, revenue growth of the last uh, decade or so. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm curious if, if you're in a position right now to talk about what sort of top line growth expectations you have for next year. That, you know, granted this year is not over yet. And uh, what would be the top three drivers of that uh, growth uh, next year? Uh,
2: Those are great questions, Rob. Uh, I can, I can, I could attempt a, uh, you know, a drunken sailor uh, type of uh, prediction. As I'm uh, leaving uh, in a few months,
7: uh,
2: but <laughs> can
7: Loran answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> that,
2: that's where I was going, but I, I think I will I will shield him with my body
11: uh,
2: <laughs> and say that, that's a great question for uh, for next quarter, I think, and uh, and possibly even early 2022. But uh, that's certainly the question that uh, you know that will uh, be uh, him and the team will be ready to answer.
7: Okay, well, then, Louis, I'm going ask you another question. You, you self-proclaimed to be the ancestor at the table. Uh, you would have seen many elections come and go. I mean, uh, are you worried about some of the rhetoric coming out of this election? And I'm specifically focused on, uh, you know, this uh, bank tax that maybe is hitting the headlines now.
2: Uh, so, Rob, I have enough scars on my face to not comment uh You know, uh, you know, uh, proposals during an election. So I'll I'll take the fifth on that one, even though we're in Canada. Thank you. I'll apply U.S. constitutional law.
7: Well, I will. uh, I will look forward to pick your brains on that again, hopefully in uh, in October. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Gabrielle Deschain from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
17: Uh, good afternoon, and, uh, you know, I'll echo the uh, positive vibes uh, to Louis and, you know, enjoy your retirement and whatever uh, is next uh, in your uh, you know phase, uh, in the next phase of your, your life. Um, so on to the questions. Uh, Credigy, uh, the assets there are, you know, kind of flat for the past few quarters. Just wondering if there's any insight on reassessing what um, – you know, what assets you could be targeting for origination. I know uh, the business has been nimble in the past based on market conditions, and right now pricing seems not optimal for, for distressed as- asset pricing, but if there may be some other initiatives at work that could, um, you know, drive some growth there. And then the other question would be directed to uh, you know, the Canadian Bank. Uh, we're seeing about a 51% NICs ratio there. Pretty uh, phenomenal improvement over the past year. Wondering, uh, you know, if there's a target of of, of getting to below 50 over time, and and, and you know what your uh, your thoughts on, are on that.
2: Uh, on that, uh, the second part of the question again, I think that's a great question for early 2022 uh, okay. when Laurent uh, they're updating the uh, strategic plan and, and guidance. Uh, on your uh, first part on credit G, uh, just a reminder that in U.S. dollar terms, the uh, the portfolio has been growing so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of that has been, uh, you know, uh, volatility with the currency level. But net-net, the portfolio denominated in U.S. dollars has been growing. Uh, The good, you know, there's many good things about that business, but one of the things that we like is that they're doing more trades with more diversified counterparties. So uh, in terms of portfolio effect, you know, we have less of a risk of, you know, a portfolio coming to maturity a uh, big portfolio coming to maturity and having to replace that uh, that uh, that income so um, so they 've been doing uh, more trades small, smaller trades, but with a diversified a more diversified asset base and a, a greater broader group of of counterparties. Uh, when we talked to the team, they remain very optimistic uh, about uh, the future and uh, potential for growth, clearly, given you know a lot of liquidity in the system they 've pivoted to financing more the acquisition of portfolios by third party as opposed to them buying portfolios of assets uh, given what they feel is uh, you know uh, expensive prices in the markets but uh, as you mentioned they've been agile and uh, and very flexible in terms of uh, deploying capital Um, needless to say i can you know again because it's my last call i I don't know how many portfolios they've bought Uh, i think it's in the hundreds of portfolios hundreds of trades since we uh, partnered up with Credit G in 2006, to my knowledge, we've had uh, one case of a zero IRR, and to my knowledge, we've never had a negative IRR on any of the portfolios that they've purchased. So over uh, you know, a 15-year period, I think it's been a very, very strong track record.
17: Well, okay, great, and uh, thanks again. I think you're the only CEO to use a Star Trek uh, reference in an earnings call, which was
2: Q2 of last year. And, uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Well, get ready for uh, Star Trek, the next generation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. The next question is from Lamar Prasad from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I just wanted
15: to circle back to the formation in the markets business referenced on, on slide 10. Last quarter, I think the formation in the markets business was also due to a client in the utility sector. I'm just wondering, is this evidence of a Broader systemic issue in the portfolio.
3: It's Bill. Thanks, Lamar, for, for the question. Uh, the answer is no. Um, two cases are coincidental, quarter by quarter, um, very, very different. One was related to uh, weather event in uh, uh, in the in, our, uh, in south of the border. The Other one was a specific uh, event with the uh, with some technologies that didn't work, and so no, completely, uh, completely different, and don't see any uh, any negative trend in that portfolio.
15: Okay, thanks. And then just to my next question, just looking at the sub, there's a meaningful step up in in technology spend late 2020 and into 2021. I wonder if you can provide some thoughts on what drove the sharp ramp up, and then more broadly speaking, are there any other expense categories that uh, we should start thinking about to accelerate over the course of the next year?
2: Um, uh. It's Louis. I'll start because I think our technology spend has been growing up uh, steadily for the last fifteen years. Uh, so uh, I don't think there was anything particular about uh, uh, one or two quarters. I'm looking at Jean here. Is checking. No, it's only the, the timing
4: of when we do invest in project. And sometimes there's more uh, spent upfront in the year, and other times it uh, it gets later in the year. So it depends on where the project are are. Uh,
2: are in in their development. No other particular reason for that. But it's it's quite clear that you know us with the rest of the industry, uh, you know, technology spend is not going away. So um, you know between you know customer facing technologies and uh, and cybersecurity, um, that segment will continue to grow. We we need to keep it growing in a disciplined fashion. But uh, uh, in terms of investments in technology, again, that that's going to be a great question for Laurent the team uh, early in 2022.
11: Yeah,
0: thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead.
15: Thank you. Good afternoon. I had a few qual- follow-up questions here. The first on your move to the zero commission model, and, and it makes sense that your strategy here is to pick up market share. But I was wondering if you could expand on uh, the sensitivity of your market share gains based on when your competitors might move to follow your zero commission strategy. So in other words, you know, in the U.S., competitors move very quickly. So how sensitive are your assumptions to, let's say, a a scenario where your competitors match the zero commission strategy within the next 30 days versus, let's say, a year from now and they still haven't uh, moved to the zero commission model? Can you give a sense of the range of your potential uh, market share gains there?
8: I... Hi, it's Martin. I I don't think I want to get into the specifics, but the Canadian market is very different. As you know, we don't have payment for order flow uh, here, uh, while it's 82% of uh, Robinhood's revenues. So, different landscape. Um, Also, the other comment that I'll make, I'll reiterate, we've been getting ready for this for many years, uh, which uh, I think is pretty, uh, uh, we're we're the only one who are doing that. Um, and there's uh, 6.5 million autonomous investors in Canada, about 5,000 households. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, you can you can get an idea of market share if you look at uh, Strategic Insights or Economic Investors. And uh, you know, the, I'll stop there in terms of what the math is. I don't want to give all of our tricks to our competitors.
15: No, that makes sense. Uh, so if I could then pivot to uh, your, your allowance levels for your performing loans, and I know there's a lot of uncertainty related to COVID-19, but I was wondering, is there a scenario where your allowance levels don't fully normalize within the next 12 months? In other words, do you think there's this possibility or a scenario where there's still meaningful PCL reversals and still substantial uh, excess reserves more than 12 months from now?
3: I'll, uh thanks for the question nigel the um you know I'll, I'll start off by saying we have no experience at uh, uh at a pandemic cycle um, and so to try to be specific in timing of when the end of the uh, end of the pandemic and the impacts will will flow through it's very very difficult so I don't know about the twelve months or six months or eighteen months uh, um but uh if we return to an environment similar to pre-pandemic in terms of economic growth and unemployment and and, and, for, and, and and forecasting of the future, we should return to pretty close to where our allowance levels were in, relative to the portfolio pre-pandemic. Does that help?
15: Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, if you could just touch on maybe what you're seeing on, on the liquidity side in terms of when uh, you think the loan growth would normalize? I mean, I understand the credit risk side might be harder to predict, but do you have a sense on the timing of the normalization? At least uh, over the next, you know, do you think it's closer to the next three to six months or, or further out than that?
3: I, I think the the loan growth has been we've been pretty happy with the loan growth uh, this quarter and the last couple of quarters. But I'll hand it over to uh, to Stefan and Lucy if they have any other comments.
10: Well. Certainly, this is Stefan, just um, it 's surprising, but the loan growth is remains very strong and we 've seen it increasingly pick up over the last uh, uh, few months while the liquidities also keep on gaining uh, momentum not as much at a high pay, as a high of a pace as before, but they 're still growing so I would argue we probably have several quarters of, of you know of these build ups before they revert back to normal levels um, I'm not concerned about you know them drying up too quickly.
12: Maybe I can expand on the mortgage growth uh, following Stefan. So we believe that the the forces driving the real estate market will continue to be present. Uh, we think demand will continue to be stimulated by the lower interest rate environment, as well so as the uh, changing housing needs uh, as a consequence of the flexible working conditions that the employers are now offering. Uh, and eventually, the o- reopening of the immigration will also be a factor in medium term. Um, I think one of the uh, of the factor also is the short supply, that will continue to put pressure on the market. Um, it's not an easy one to solve, uh, but certainly when we look uh, specifically at national bank, Stefan explained the opportunity that it brings in terms of commercial real estate, especially in Quebec. So we see uh, we see it. Uh, we see it as being, we, we see that we are continuing to be well positioned to
15: capture that that market share. Okay, that's really helpful and that's it for me and, and Louis, wish you the best in your retirement as well.
12: Thanks.
0: Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Darko Mihelik from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
16: Hi, thank you. I have a, couple, a, bunch, a bunch of really quick questions. I think I'll start with uh, Martin. Um, so one of the things that's also missing in the Canadian marketplace is fractional share ownership. Is that a big thing? Is it difficult to do, expensive? Is that something you guys are considering?
8: It's uh, It's been on the list of uh, things that we want to do, and we, we constantly uh, survey our investors. Um, and, and I think that what won the vote recently is uh, before and after uh, hours trading, so I don't know exactly where fractional uh, shares stand, but it's, it's in the list.
16: Darko. Okay, thank you. A quick question for Lucy. Uh, the mortgage growth that we're seeing from national is, is above average, uh, industry average. How much of that is coming from mortgage brokers? And um, is it material at all?
12: No, I would say, well, thank you for our performance. We're really, very happy about uh, about what's happening. We've been working on that business for many years now. So 70-75% of our growth uh, comes from our proprietary channel, which is really at the core of our strategy. And Mortgage Broker, uh, all-inclusive with uh, our Paradigm Quest activity, represents about
16: 15%. Okay, and has that grown from from past years?
12: Not really. Since we exited the mortgage broker channel, we started the, our partnership with PQ, and now we've complemented it with, with M3, as you know. But our intent is to keep our strategy focused on our proprietary channel going forward.
9: Okay, great, thank you. And a real quick question for Bill:
16: I'm looking at slide nine of your presentation, where um, you know the, the performing ACL coverage uh, total allowances uh, covering 6.6 times. Net charge-offs, and the question that comes to mind in staring at these graphs is surely the uncertainty today must be less than the uncertainty we saw last year at Q3. So it begs the question, and you know we were asked this previously, but you know, as we get into Q4, a lot of the things that you cited will will obviously be less uncertain. Like the programs will be over. Or should be over. We never know. I the suppose they could be extended. Um, um, the, uh, uh, but we'll know a lot more about the uh, the Delta variant and so on and so forth. Is it, does it not scream at you when you look at these these um, you know these these lines going up that maybe you have to have a much bigger release and really quickly?
3: Thanks, Darko, for the question. The, I think, you know, you and I spoke about uh, when IFRS 9 was implemented, you know, how it would work uh, before the pandemic. And, and I, I think I was calling out some of these, uh, these ratios before the pandemic. Certainly, uh, I would not have predicted the lines to go up so sharply to have, you know, 3.8 times coverage or 6.6 times coverage. I think there's a couple of factors uh, in that, though. One is that the impaired levels have been very low the consequence of many of the things that we've already talked about but the you know in theory before the pandemic i would have expected some transfers of the allowance into impaired or in stage three as impairments came so that's that's one one thing i think the second point i'll mention is when when, when we think about uh you know reserving and our reserving philosophy is is certainly our, our history has been to be very proactive and build reserves quickly where we see a deterioration. I think that we did that early on in the uh, in the pandemic, starting even in Q1, as we saw the the, uh, the situation evolving in Asia. Um, uh, and our philosophy at this stage, I think, is really to remain prudent. So, if you add up the releases in the last couple of quarters, you know we, we have released uh, 20 20 less than 25% of the of the build over that time. Um, that's the reason why we're retaining uh, the 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 seventy five eighty percent is not because we see imminent deterioration, uh, and we recognize there has been a lot of good things that have happened. You know, we have the vaccines. We, uh, the role of the vaccines and vac- vaccination rates are very positive. It looks like the support programs did provide a bridge to the reopening of the economy, and those are the factors which drove the release. But the you know, we really think uh, that being prudent given some of the uncertainties is the right uh, is the right approach and just like as the positive news to date has generated its releases certainly if it continues to be positive news there will be more releases um, I think that if I would describe it in adjectives our mindset is the you know we're we're, we're optimistic uh, and prudent
16: Does okay yeah I mean I guess I mean it just it just it just seems that if this continues on into next year i would I would have thought maybe that we would see more aggressive releases and then they just sort of tailing off um but I guess you know you're not willing to co- to to sort of commit to any sort of a pattern
3: yeah as i as I mentioned earlier, you know we haven't been through a pandemic cycle before, and if we have to err, we'd rather err on the on the prudent side however if if the economy continues to follow the path and the positive news continues, there'll be
16: releases. I think that's as far as I'll go okay. All right, great. Thanks. Louis, uh, all the best in retirement. Going to miss our conversations. Uh, and Laurent, looking forward to conversations with you uh, going forward as well. Thanks very much.
9: Thank you, Dr. Thank you.
0: Thank you. As a reminder, please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. Our next question is from Scott Chen from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
6: Thanks. I just got a quick follow-up question on Flink's. Um, you kind of provided your, your investment um, impact to set one and, uh, and expected to gain next quarter. But from a P&L perspective, is there anything to consider on that front? I
2: think we guided, sorry, Scott, it's Louie. I think we guided that it was neutral
6: in we terms of ETS. Yeah, that's oh,
2: what he, we said in the press release. The press oh, you did?
6: Yeah, okay. For the,
2: for the next year or two, I think it's pretty neutral.
0: Okay,
6: got it. Thank you.
0: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call over to Mr. Louis Vachon.
2: So, thank you, everyone, and uh, Laurent and team will be uh, ready to take your, uh, your questions at, uh, at your Q4 meeting. So, thank you all, and have a good day.
0: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at, at this, this time, time, and we thank we you do. for your participation